Hello and welcome to another edition of the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Podula. The United States of America has a new president. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. And the 46th leader of this great democracy has wasted no time, already signing executive orders on climate, immigration, and yes, the COVID-19 pandemic. But the work is just beginning, not just for President Joe Biden, but for those of us in the news media as well. And I can promise you that, in the words of a colleague, we won't cut the new guy any slack and that we will hold him to the same standard of truth to which we held his predecessor. But first, let's get some initial reaction to the inaugural address. For that, I'm joined by Republican strategist Randy Pemple and Democratic strategist Kathy Allen. And let's start with you, Kathy. What did you think of his speech? I thought it was a knockout. I thought my whole world today was going to be about, it's over, or goodbye, Donnie. The fact is, uh, it was something to be able to change the day into something that you wanted to watch and actually had all kinds of really great moments. Like I call it a four tissue for Democrats kind of event. Yeah, I was like sniffing away by Miss Amanda Gorman as well as Biden. The two of them together made you say, hey, I can say I'm an American again. It's a good day. Like Kathy, I I think the president uh, hit the right tone Uh, In his remarks, uh, in a time like this, unity had to be the call for action. But one of the things that stood out for me was when he said, we must win this uncivil war. And he was talking about the 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 the, the dangers of partisanship there and the the insurrection that we saw two weeks ago. And and I thought the turn of that phrase uh, was appropriate for these times. Likewise, quoting Abraham Lincoln and saying, my whole soul is in it. I think if Joe Biden were to pick out one line uh, to remember uh, from this speech, that might be the line because he went on to repeat it and say, you can rest assured that my whole soul was in it. And, And remember, when he got into this race, he said it was to restore the soul of our country. So that's a that's a common theme, uh, a reoccurring theme with President Biden. I think we'll hear it more uh, more and more going forward. And so I think that came out, out of it. And he also opened with, I thought, a, a very good line. And that was, this is America's day. This is democracy's day. And, and so I, I, I think he hit the right tone in that. Um, I, I wish I could uh, be as confident in the uh, executive actions that he's already promised later today. I, I think he, uh, frankly, is missing an opportunity there uh, to not be spending all of today on COVID. Um, I think his uh, his moment of silence for the uh, for the 400,000 uh, U.S. victims uh, of the COVID pandemic directly, as well as their families, uh, I thought that was very poignant and. Uh, uh, I hope that he puts as much emphasis on COVID as possible and, frankly, as little emphasis on anything else, because until we re- return to normalcy uh, and the American public is confident in going out and participating in public rituals, we won't be able to restore that soul of, of, of our country. Kathy, do you think this is sort of uh, a return to normal when it comes to politics, regardless of policy? Politics have become so toxic in the last four, eight, 12 years. 
But Joe Biden, he, he sort of built that brand around being the reasonable guy. Well, I think he did. But one of the other takeaways was how much he looked like he hears Black Lives Matter. I was very impressed with not just the singing and not just the Amanda uh, Gorman, but the fact is, is that we saw youth, we saw people of color, we saw East, we saw West, we saw conservative, we saw liberal. Um, I thought it looked like it was at least an opportunity to, to actually touch what was hurting most in America. And including adding the moment of silence for those who have lost families. It wasn't divisive. I didn't think it had any slams to it. I also thought that it had a sense of dignity that is probably the lasting message. As big as it was to see so many people of color who actually were fabulous, the fact is it was also great to be able to take a look at uh, the ability for him to recognize all of the problems you face at once. I kind of liked his not just having COVID as a theme, but in having the big five that are all st standing out there hurting right now. So I, I thought it gave me a sense of all that he's able to actually take care of with a new group of people that really do have a look like us, act like us, live like us kind of team to it. There was a sense of not one guy in charge of everything, but a sense of this was going to be inclusive. And Randy, it's going to be quite some time before we can say our long national nightmare is over and the pandemic isn't going away anytime soon. And as you said, that's job one. And I think President Biden realizes that. I think the people around him realize that and that until uh, they can make good on his promise of 100 million shots in 100 days, he won't be judged as a success. I mean, if, if they fall short in that very basic promise, that does not uh, uh, portend well for the remainder of his term. And so that's why that's where the focus needs to be. But in addition to the vaccines, it's restoring the, the, the economy. It is getting kids back into schools. I mean, there are other elements that uh, the president needs to be a loud voice in favor of. And uh, that's what we need to be hearing, uh, I think, coming out of the White House, if he indeed is going to be successful in bringing people together who did not vote for him or even those who voted for him, but mainly they voted against Donald Trump. And to bring those folks together, success in COVID, I think, is the answer. Kathy, you know, it seems like that Joe Biden will have at least the opportunity for success more than a lot of presidents, uh, previous presidents. He has, albeit a very slim, majority in uh, both chambers of the Congress. I think it's more than the, the number of people in Congress. I think that what it is right now, it's a sense of a breath of fresh air and actually at least a sense of positive action as opposed to things you don't believe. His, his whole going back and forth to just uh, the truth, the truth, I'll tell you the truth, we'll, we will be in contact with you. I think that a lot of that really resonates right now when people uh, don't have the trust we once had in any 
any form of government at the local or the, uh, the local state and particularly the federal level. I think this is about a trust building time with somebody who's going to look you in the eye and tell you the truth. At the same time, he's going to have a different group of people who are much more, I would say, middle class and like more of us than um, than we've seen before. I mean, I do think it's a stark lightness in a dark world. And I think that that was the first thing you take from this was a sense of at least there's an optimism and a hope now that I didn't have yesterday. Brandy, what do you say the next steps are, you know, in healing the country, whether it's COVID or anything else, that's going to be a, a huge challenge. Well, the next steps are a little bit of kind of inside baseball, if you will. And the first one is how they settle the issue of the filibuster in the U.S. Senate. As you know, uh, and as your listeners know, it takes 60 votes to do most things in the Senate due to the ability uh, of the filibuster of a, of a minority of the members to stop legislative action. And uh, seemingly, Senator McConnell uh, has put to uh, his counterpart, Senator Schumer, an offer to leave the legislative filibuster in place for two years, and then we can proceed with organizing the Senate and Senator Schumer is not accepting that yet. And, and in part because of something that you said, Jeff, you talked about um, the president having majorities in both party, uh, both houses of Congress. He does not. He has a tied Senate. The vice president is the presiding officer and can break the tie, but he does not have a majority in that Senate. It is a 50-50 Senate. And so we'll see how he can resolve that because he has to encourage Senator Schumer to resolve it quickly if he wants to get on with his legislative program. And remember, President Biden, he's a creature of the Senate. He spent 44 years of his 78 years in the Senate. 36 is a member of the Senate, eight years is its presiding officer. And he knows how it works. And if he can resolve that issue, then I think it, it will bode uh, well, or at least bode better. Uh, for his COVID relief package, the $1.9 trillion package he put out there last week. Mm-hmm. And Kathy, turning to some more local politics in, in all of this, what tends to be overshadowed is the fact that we had Governor Inslee uh, elected to a third term. I know, Randy, you're not too happy about that. Um, but No one you, is. You have uh, similar difficulties here in this state. And one of the things that struck me in, in talking to some of the legislative Republicans yesterday was that, in particular, Representative Drew Stokesbury, willing to spend a lot of money, dip into that rainy day fund to help with COVID relief. Does that surprise you? Well, it, do- it doesn't only because I heard him speak last week. I listened to him speak in a, a morning uh, meeting that I go to attend with Randy. And I have to say that I was quite impressed with this guy. I, I went away thinking, well, how'd you find him? This guy should have been on our side. The fact is he is particularly articulate. And I never heard a Republican spend so much money in one well, 45 minute segment. He really was talking about not just middle of the road, but he was talking about helping those who don't have any kind of a social ladder climbing that they can do for a job. Or, I mean, he really had a heart 
this is hard to say to believe but and he also seems from another generation he seems from one that is younger than mine and it seemed that he was open to a bunch of stuff anyone who volunteers to be on the budget committee particularly as a minority member has got to have something going for him and the fact is this guy did i was impressed with all of the not just the openness to fixing problems but in the way he was looking at it as something that uh, is worthy of the conversation and not necessarily attacking what is usually jumped on by all Republicans at all speeds, at all levels. So I was, uh, I was impressed that there was a young thinker that was at least going to hear people out. So I, I, have, I, I think that that is hope, more hope. Yeah. Oddly enough, I, I, asked Pat Sullivan, the House Majority Leader, about that. He was much more resistant, so the traditional roles seem to have been reversed here. Yeah. Well, I don't think that it would be a surprise what Representative Stokesbury, who is the budget leader for uh, House Republicans, it would be a surprise how he thinks the state should work on COVID recovery if the governor had called the special session that was constitutionally required last year to bring in points of view from people like Representative Stokesbury and other elected officials on how to deal with COVID. But instead, we've had a one-man show uh, failing us greatly, both at the national level and at the state level uh, in COVID response. And hopefully there will be some more thoughtful listening to people like Representative Stokesbury and frankly, many other members of the state legislature who have ideas on ways to help the people in their community, the businesses in their community, the communities that have been impacted the most by COVID. It should come as no surprise that House Republicans are standing up for those who are most vulnerable in our society. That is the role of government. But at the same time, it should not come at the expense of, uh, of our other principles such as balanced budgets and, and good, uh, uh, good fiscal management. And uh, I think that's going to be the debate of this legislative session is, do we escape it with our fiscal uh, integrity intact, or do we mortgage the future as the governor has proposed uh, in his budget? And then finally, uh, Kathy, we saw yesterday also the, the first arrest in the storming of not the U.S. Capitol, but rather the governor's mansion here uh, in Washington state. Now, it does not appear that anyone was hurt in, in that incident that happened on the same day, January the 6th. They did not get inside the mansion as they did the U.S. Capitol, but they were able to breach security. A lot of questions are being asked. You have the, the one person from Seattle, a 26-year-old man who has already been arrested, those political divisions still remain. You know, it's really a conundrum for me. I look at it and I think, you know, at the last 10 years, we've spent putting time and energy into nicer pu public safety, that we put our, our focus on equity uh, for all. We put ourselves into numbers of different changes, defunding, taking away police power. And then we wonder when these things happen, They we say to ourselves, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe we've been a little bit too lax in some of these things. Or then we come up with conspiracy theories that say, oh, there's a group of people always plotting against us anyways. I look at it and think, I, where is truth? Where is truth in this? I, I uh, have not ever been what you would call a friend of police, but I am, in terms of growing up, I was part of those protesters out there. But the fact is, it, now, as I look at it, and I'm trying to figure out the, the parts that are fair and the parts that aren't fair, 
I look at this and wonder, yeah, but am I going to be endangering my entire neighborhood and myself by actually believing that we can go nice as a cop? So I'm looking at this to see what kind of stuff they're going to bring out, too. We've had legislation that has done a lot to try to bring equity to policing. However, the equality we see is not something that I, I feel very proud about most of the time. With all that, I guess I would say I'm looking to see what they're going to do. I, I would hope, you know, right now I'm more, I'm more hopeful that what we'll do is uh, at least take care of making sure that we aren't embarrassing ourselves with the leniency in policing that seems to have been evident in the last couple of months. Randy, you get the last word. I am uh, glad that the authorities have identified the suspect that was threatening reporters. Uh, that person is a vicious individual and deserves to be punished uh, under the rule of law. Uh, it's ironic that it uh, is taking uh, the state patrol uh, to find uh, and punish someone like that who lives in Seattle and would not have been punished in Seattle for his same actions here. Uh, as we saw journalists being attacked last summer during the occupation of uh, the, the Capitol Hill occupation, the Chaz and the CHOP, those people went unarrested. I'm glad that this one was arrested. All right, Randy Peppel, Republican strategist, Kathy Allen, Democratic strategist, thank you so much for your time. You're thank welcome. You. And that will do it for this episode of the Como Politicast. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. And for more, be sure to check out our other shows, such as Como News This Week, Life Beat with Marina Rockinger, and our hourly news updates. All are available at comonews.com slash podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. I'm Jeff Pogela. Thank you for listening, and have a good week.